0: Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. I am your host, Jim Lakely, the vice president of the Heartland Institute. Um, Your usual host, Donnie Kendall, is traveling. He's actually in an airplane at this very moment. Uh, So he will be back next week. You'll have to suffer through my attempts to host this podcast as well as he does. Just let me set the stage here before introducing um, our usual panel and our very special guests. You know, investments in alternative energy companies, they took off like a rocket in 2020, but all those gains, are now gone. General Electric announced that it will put a it will post a billion dollars a billion dollars in losses in its wind division. The S&P Clean Energy Index is down more than thirty percent this year, and still dropping. Siemens, one of the premier German manufacturers of wind turbines, saw its stock price crash by nearly forty percent in one day last week. In fact, I believe it was uh, one week ago, today, and now they are demanding a fifteen billion dollar euro bailout um, from the German government. Germany of course is where um, you know wind energy is supposed to be the future apparently it's not even the present and of course the news for electric vehicles um, is not very much it's not very good at all despite uh, endless government government subsidies ford is taking huge losses on every electric vehicle it sells it sells they stop shipments of their electric trucks because people who love trucks know that the electric version is not practical and generally sucks general motors delaying the rollout of its electric truck fleet Even Elon Musk is saying that a broad demand for EVs is not there. So is a government a bailout for these government directed green energy and vehicle uh, pushes on the horizon to fix these disasters? Well, we're going to talk about all of that and more on today's show. And let's get to introducing everybody with us, as usual, is Chris Talgo, the (laughs) Chris Talgo, uh, the uh, editorial director here at the Heartland Institute. And 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 uh you know always on the podcast how are you doing today chris doing
1: good and just want to say a shout out to the texas rangers first world series win pretty good series i'm not a big fan of the diamondbacks so i'm pretty glad the the rangers won
0: now that's good also with us today and i'm sure our guest today is pretty happy about that as well we'll see our uh, and with us today is linnea lucan she is perfect for the topic on this podcast on in the tank today because she is uh one of our resident energy experts, a former petroleum engineer. I guess once you're a petroleum engineer, Linnea, you're always a petroleum engineer. So welcome back to the podcast. I know you have a lot of fans here.
2: Thank you very much. I'm always happy to be here.
0: That's great. And now with us, our special guest is Jason Isaac. He's a senior fellow of Life Powered, a national initiative of the Texas Public Policy Foundation and co-author of a brand new report that we're going to get into today called Overcharged Expectations, Unmasking the True Cost of Electric Vehicles. And he's also known as the Carbon King. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast,
3: Jason. Hey, great to be on, Jim. Thanks for having me. I look forward to uh, talking with you and Chris and Linnea. It should be a great conversation.
0: Yes. Well, here we have on, for those of us watching on screen, we have a nice, uh, I, I I did this up for you. We have a program called Canva that I like to experiment with so I can get better at stuff. And I thought, you know, if you really are the Carbon King, Jason Isaac, you need to be holding a scepter with a lump of coal on the top. Uh, I included the uh, logo for Stephen F. Austin. Uh, yes, I appreciate that. Axum
3: Jacks, we're the lumberjacks, you know?
0: <laughs> yes, that's right. And so that's your scepter. And your orb, of course, has uh, natural gas flame coming out of it, which is great with the Texas Public Policy Foundation logo on it, of course, because you're the carbon Wonderful. King. And uh, as you say often, uh, Jason, um, you like to live a high carbon lifestyle and it all of us should be living our best high carbon life.
3: I I, I do, I I live a high carbon lifestyle and I think the rest of the world should too. It's truly where you have economic prosperity and with economic prosperity, you get environmental leadership. And I said that uh, the last time I testified in front of Congress, it was the House Oversight Committee. And, and Congressman Jamie Raskin from Maryland didn't appreciate the fact that I embrace a high carbon lifestyle and that I, I wish others do, would too. Uh, and he referred to me as a carbon king and I, I loved it. I'm like, I'm writing this down. I'm, I'm going to own this one. So I love it when people call me uh, names and I embrace them and, and use them as a nickname. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm the carbon king.
0: Yeah, well, you you definitely have a lot of fun. <laughs> and and there's one yeah. thing the environmental left the one thing the environmental left is not like, it's people having fun uh, either. <laughs> and so you you uh, having fun at their expense and embracing these labels they put on people is great. So uh, before we get into our topic areas, and uh, there's so much to talk about on uh, the collapse of green energy, the coming collapse. Maybe it's already started and we just don't know it yet. Uh, Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about uh, the Life Powered Initiative and uh, and the Texas Public Policy Foundation. I know that uh, I'll just start off by letting everyone know that you're a former uh, state representative in the great state of Texas.
3: That's right. I served for four terms uh, last decade in the legislature in Texas and the Texas House and worked on energy and environment issues and really promoting this economic prosperity that we've experienced in Texas uh, through responsibly produ- producing energy that we stand over. And I think that we that. The energy that we stand over in Texas and really here in the United States is the key to ending global poverty. And so as I was leaving the legislature, I had an opportunity to join the Texas Public Policy Foundation and lead their life powered initiative. Initiative, which is a short mission statement is to raise America's energy IQ and something that I was working on with classroom curriculum uh, for public schools here in Texas, trying to to really change the outcomes of what we were seeing from kids in public schools that were being taught bad things about energy produced in this state. And and then we've, we've seen this continue to rise with the mental health issues that we're seeing around the globe. It's over 50% of the kids in this country suffer from eco-anxiety, and there's really no reason for that. They should be happy. They should be optimistic. They should embrace the high-carbon lifestyle like I do. Uh, and so I've had that opportunity to, to work with the foundation now for just right at about five years. And then now we've kind of been incubating this project A little over about a year ago recognizing there's not a trade organization there's not a c6 a 501 c6 organization that believes in free markets and american energy oil gas coal and nuclear so i'm in the process of building and launching the american energy institute Uh, so that's separate completely separate board and organization from the texas public policy foundation uh, but the missions will be very similar and closely aligned. And so I'm kind of doing both things right now, which is really exciting as we uh, seek to raise America's energy IQ and really liberate American energy.
0: Absolutely. You know, uh, I just I just love that idea. And, you know, live a high carbon lifestyle, you know, because Al Gore lives a high carbon lifestyle. John Kerry lives a high carbon lifestyle. Uh, if it's good enough for them, it should be good enough for the rest of us, too. Um,
3: yeah. So and you look I, at places I love that, that messaging. Don't. Yeah, because you look at places that don't live a high carbon lifestyle and he, I, I love using the uh, Sri Lanka as the example, you know, when he, the, the president is former now former president of Sri Lanka ran in 2019, he said he was the first ever net zero candidate on the face of the earth and got elected. And then in 2020 began implementing his net zero policies and banned the use and importation of nitrogen based or fossil fuel based fertilizer. And, and Sri Lanka was experiencing prosperity. They were on this pathway to prosperity for the first time in their existence. People were, were thriving. They, their incomes were increasing. They were exporting tea. They were exporting rice. And then what happened is this, the policies went into place and food production decreased 40% food cost increased 80%. They were no longer exporting food. They were having to import it and depend on mainland China and India for food staples. And that was resulting in poverty. And today you've got nine and 10 people in India that will, will face hunger every single day. And so rightfully so, the, the people of, of Sri Lanka, of, forgive me, Sri Lanka stormed the, the palace, the presidential palace in 2022 and when the president fled, he didn't go to Malawi that's at net zero or Ethiopia that's at net zero. He went to Singapore on a military fossil fueled plane. And <laughs> Singapore is the highest per capita CO2 emissions on the face of the earth. And that's why. Wait, why did he go there? He should have been relegated to what he was pushing on his people. And that's net zero. And but he didn't because he's hypocritical, much, most like the people that profess against a high carbon lifestyle. They're they're hypocritical. They're living high carbon lifestyle, but want the rest of us to live in abject poverty.
0: Yeah. Well, if he if he had surrendered himself to his people, I don't think he'd be around to do anything. So <laughs> it's good that he <laughs> hightailed it out of there. Yeah. Uh all right. So let's so let's get started uh, on some of the the topics um and the stories we pulled up for today. Um Andy's got a video that we're gonna run here in a second, but uh to set that up, I'm sure you heard about this, Jason and and uh, Linnea and Chris, that a uh enormous offshore wind project off the shore of uh southern new jersey uh, was canceled by a, a danish developer named orsted they're one of the biggest wind uh wind generation wind power generation companies in the world and uh, they just i think yesterday announced that their big ocean wind 1 and ocean wind 2 so a huge two stage Uh, project that was going to cost, I think, um, several billions. And there's lots of they got lots of tax breaks and also direct subsidies to put this together. They just they said uh, they said the other day, you know, it's too expensive. We're not going to do it. Um, Goodbye. (laughs) We're heading back to Denmark, apparently. So go ahead and hit that video. This will give everyone a little bit more background.
4: Welcome back. An offshore wind farm developer cancelling two major offshore wind projects in a blow to President Biden's green energy goals and his climate change agenda. Fox Business' Madison Alworth is live at Leonardo Beach in New Jersey this morning. Madison. Good morning, Maria. The news, a huge blow, like you said, to President Biden's green plans as well as plans for the state of New Jersey. Ocean Wind 1 and Ocean Wind 2 were supposed to be the two largest offshore wind projects off the coast of New Jersey. They were supposed to provide green energy for the state. But Orsted, one of the world's largest offshore wind developers, canceling that project citing costs. This coming after the Danish company was awarded an estimated $1 billion in tax credits. So you just roll the dice
0: and hope it all works out well. Well, it's not working out well.
4: I hope the New Jersey, uh, you know, our taxpayers get money back from Orsted. You know, in July, Governor Murphy said such tax breaks were necessary if New Jersey wanted to keep Orsted interested, obviously, seeing it didn't work. So in an announcement yesterday saying, quote, today's decision by Orsted to abandon its commitments to New Jersey is outrageous and calls into question the company's credibility and competence. Overall, this paints a dire financial picture for the future of offshore wind off the east coast of the United States. Maria? All right, Matt. Maybe-
0: well, the end of that video, I guess, got cut off. Maybe those whales uh, Maria, will me- stop
4: dying and washing up on shore, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so good news for the whales. The reporter was not, was not able to go out in the ocean and uh, and talk to any whales for comment, but it's definitely good news for them uh Lena let's start with you on your your reaction to this and then we'll we'll go around the horn but um you know New Jersey it seems to me being upset that uh, this company took a bunch of benefits and then walked out is kind of like um inviting a thief into your home and then being upset when your silver's missing
2: <laughs> yeah that's about right and i wanted to point out too look at the if we if viewers want to rewind a little bit later but um if you look at the transmission line plan that's involved there it's not going you know the power isn't going to the neighborhoods and the and the coastal regions that are directly um in the path of those big wind turbine fields it's getting shipped further north away from them so they're not even the people that would have had to deal with this installation um in terms of having it on their horizon or uh having their fishing impacted by it uh, aren't even the people who appear to be getting most of the, (laughs) the energy transmission. Uh, So except for that little line there, but um, if that is what that is supposed to represent now, I'm a little bit unsure because the big circle around it, but uh, it's wind has always been extremely expensive. The EIA says that um, it is offshore wind in particular has the worst Uh, kind of value to cost ratio of any new energy source that's even worse than um biomass worse than onshore wind worse than solar all of it so they're they're getting kind of double ripped off on this because one they weren't going to get very much value out of it in the first place and two now they're still paying for it and they're not getting anything at all
0: yeah yeah i mean it's like uh the there are they're building wind farms um, all over the Shetland Islands. And um, you know, my family has some connection there. And I visited once and I uh, have family members that go all the time. And they're putting these these landscape blights and uh bird killers up there in Shetland offshore and onshore. And the power does not power anything in Shetland. It all gets transferred back to the mainland Scotland instead. And so that that tends to be the uh the way these things go, Jason, is that uh You know, these they're not only they're not only intermittent and expensive, but they don't even really generally help the communities that they are blighting with these big uh, bird killers out there. (laughs)
3: <laughs> no, they certainly don't. And I'm surprised it took this long for the New Jersey governor to question the competence of Orsted. The only reason these would be built is because of the massive subsidies. And now they're proving that that's not even enough to prop them up. And I've had an opportunity to visit the only coastal wind farm that's in existence today in the US. It's the Block Island Wind Farm and Block Island right off of Rhode Island. And there's five turbines there. And when I visited only only one of them was working. So it, it, granted, the installed capacity of these turbines, and, and you're, at, you're right at 20 percent handicap because only one of them's working, and so maybe it's producing about three to four percent of its installed capacity. And Then you, the, the, the damage that was being done, the high voltage power lines that were exposed from the sea floor that I was reading about in the newspaper headlines while I was there, had been this project had been delayed for years to get them rebuilt because you know now winter was approaching when I was there. And here we are, winter's approaching now, and so they couldn't rebury these. Exposed high voltage power lines that came up off the sea floor. And it's interesting what they do to bury these lines is they have to do horizontal drilling, <laughs> much like the oil and gas industry, but they're doing it just a few <laughs> feet below the surface uh, of the bottom of, the, of the, the ocean. The pictures that I saw of these that commercial fishermen provided me, you have oil leaking all down the masts of these. Mm. And it's just, I, I really think. That the coastal wind farms that are, have been put in and that are going to be put in around the united states and the existing massive solar arrays that we're seeing i really think those are going to be our next epa superfund sites because they are going to continue to be and will be an environmental disaster that's that's degrading the ocean that's degrading the soil uh, where the sit those the solar arrays are and it's just going to be incredibly detrimental and expensive for taxpayers to, to clean up Again, once a hook, we're going to be on the hook for their installation, their use. And now we're going to be on the hook for their cleanup.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, the I've had you know conversations around here at the Heartland Institute. We talk about energy policy a lot. And I don't know if, I think Sterling Burnett, our, uh, the head of our climate center here at Heartland, he may have been the one who said this, that if, uh, well, obviously this part is true, that if a um, wind turbine kills a raptor, even an endangered uh, bird, you know, uh, that's fine. The employees go collect the carcass and throw it in the garbage. If a endangered species dies of natural causes on the property of your coal or natural gas plant, you are in heap big trouble with the federal government. And so, you know, the, the, the environmental left has for way too long gotten away with the myth that solar and wind are clean and good for the environment. They are not remotely good for the environment. Um, who, who's, who, who does anyone care about the migrations of, say, desert animals that uh, they, that are interrupted by huge farms of solar panels, or, of course, you know, birds and um, that are killed by you know, wind turbines, and the amount of land that would be necessary to replace the baseload power we have in this country if you were to replace all the coal and natural gas plants and nuclear plants because the environmental left doesn't like nuke either? Um, how much land would be used, and how much, obviously? petroleum and fossil fuels that will be necessary to build those. Um I have yet to see, maybe the invention will come one day, but I've yet to see an electric bulldozer. Uh, and I don't think we're ever going to see one. They don't have enough power.
3: Uh, Chris. Yeah. It's kind of weird when Michael Moore, you know, a guy who's I would never recommend anyone watch any of his films, but when he produces planet of the humans that talks yep. about the hypocrisy and how he and his, You know, buddies were protesting mountaintop removal for coal to get the coal underneath the surface of the land, this great, incredible, dense energy that we produce more responsibly than anywhere else. You know, they're advocating against that. Well, now he's having to go out and protest mountaintops from being removed for the installation of wind because they do, they take up 75 times the amount of land of a comparable natural gas or coal fired power plant or a nuclear power plant. And that's including all the, the mining that goes into coal and the oil and ga- gas exploration and transportation on the pipelines, 75 times the amount of land that wind takes up and solar is up there nearly 30 times the amount of land. It's not dense energy and it's certainly not environmentally friendly. You're right. It, I, again, I think it's a blight on the environment. It is. Dist- destroying large raptor, birds of prey. You know, the the climate cult will come out and say, oh, but house cats kill more birds than anything else. They're killing small little tiny birds. They're not killing giant raptors. The raptors may be carrying the house cats away from time to time. Uh, The the cats aren't winning that fight. I assure you that. But the the wind turbines are winning that, that, that fight and they are killing uh, our birds of prey our raptors endangered species left and right and it's self reported self reported
0: yeah that's true true and it's like the the whale deaths in uh you know from offshore from the um uh using sonar and uh you know disrupting the yeah. migration uh, uh paths of the right whale for instance uh, there's only 350 of them left in the north atlantic the north the, the north atlantic right whale mm-hmm. um, they're being massively Uh, disrupted and killed, but then, you know, New Jersey is seeing all these whales, um, you know, wash up on shore. That's just the ones we see. How many whales die and just sink to the bottom and we don't see them? We don't know. You can't know. Um, So, but it's got to be more. It's not just the ones that are washing up. Other whales are also dying, obviously. So um, these environmental impacts are real and they are most often, in almost every case, much greater than that of uh, traditional Energy that we produce in this country. So, Chris, let me let me just let me run to you here now. Um, you wrote a piece it was just in Red State, um, getting back to kind of the, where where we started on this topic. That uh, it's titled "Despite Massive Subsidies, the Green Energy Transition Is Floundering." And uh, you go over some very important information from the U.S. Energy Information Administration about all the subsidies that are that have been flowing to these green energy companies, and they're producing very little, if any, usable energy.
1: Uh, Well, first, Jim, I am an expert on the New Jersey Shore because I've watched every single episode of the Jersey Shore. (laughs) And I can tell (laughs) I'm just kidding, but I actually have Um, the people in New Jersey. Seventy seven percent of them wanted nothing to do with this. Uh, Most of the state representatives from New Jersey wanted nothing to do do with this. It was mostly Governor Murphy, the same guy who said that the uh, Bill of Rights was above his pay grade during the uh, pandemic when he. Uh, went way above and beyond uh, his, uh, you know, his authority as governor and locked down the entire uh, state and did it in a very malicious manner. So it doesn't surprise me that this is failing, because I think that this uh, was not supported by the people of New Jersey and the uh, state representatives. But getting back to what you were saying, um, over the past you know decade or so, the federal government uh, has uh, poured tens of billions of dollars into uh, subsidizing uh, green energy, uh, you know, wind and solar in particular. Uh, During the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, that even uh, went way up. Uh, Wall Street Journal estimates that the the Inflation Reduction Act is going to add $1.2 trillion dollars for subsidies to EVs and to uh, wind and solar, and despite all of these subsidies and uh, the amount of subsidies that the green energy uh, industry gets, pales in comparison. Is just it is just so much more than what the uh, fossil fuel industry gets. However, even with all those subsidies, they are losing money hand over fist. As you know, both of the uh, other guests have said, it, it it's not economically viable and regardless of the indirect and uh, direct uh, uh subsidies tax credits all the you know stuff that they're throwing at this it's not working and it's 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 uh scary to me because i think that what's going to happen is they're just going to say well we need to double down we need to do more and more and more we've seen proterra go uh, bankrupt we saw solyndra go bankrupt in the obama years we saw battery uh, a2 a123 go bankrupt and the the uh, Typical response from the uh, climate change uh, cult is, well, we just haven't done enough. So on one hand, it's good that this is happening. It's good that these uh, businesses are going up in flames and it's good that the people are rejecting it. However, I'm just worried that that's just going to produce an even uh, greater response from those who are pushing this to say, well, what's the answer? More and more subsidies.
0: Yeah. And uh, Jason Lene, got any uh, comments on... Uh, I,
3: I, yeah, I got I got to jump in here because Chris made a reference to Jersey Shore, and it's really hard to do GTL without affordable, reliable electricity. You can't get to the gym in an EV because you know New Jersey's got inclement weather; it's going to be cold, and if you're relying on wind, you're just not going to be able to power it. And then you, you can't do the tan because you know probably the light bulbs are dangerous, or you know you're not going to be able to get to the beach. And then the laundry, your know, laundry's got to be powered by affordable, reliable electricity, which is increasing across the U.S. So GTL is pretty tough with wind and solar uh, and heavily subsidized forms of energy. So we just need more affordable, reliable energy from oil, gas, coal, and nuclear uh, in this country. So Chris, I just had to throw a Jersey Shore reference back at you with the GTL. I love it. Love it.
2: <laughs> well, it, it really burns me up, Jason, that you told me about that oil dripping off of the uh, wind turbines, because when I worked offshore, you know, it, it was full panic mode if you dropped a plastic Dixie cup over the side of the rig because that was um, litter, pollution, whatever, or, you know, God forbid you had um, some mud that wasn't supposed to go overboard, go overboard or whatever it happened to be. And you would get massive fines for just the smallest stuff. And uh, so we were all kept really on our toes about that. But the idea that these things are just seeping lubricant and stuff into the water um, ticks me off a little bit.
3: Yeah. And I'm there with you too. It's you know, a s- s- little story about me. I was getting my swim merit badge in Boy Scouts, and I had a piece of gum in my mouth walking down to the shore of this lake to go swim in it. And there were no trash cans. And, I, you know, I was a kid. I was scared of swallowing my gum. I didn't think it was going to come out for seven years. And, and so <laughs> I, I choked on my gum while I was getting my swim merit badge. And someone's like, why Why didn't you just spit your gum out? And I'm like, I don't want to litter. I, there's, and there's no trash can around. So I wind up choking on my gum. And Uh, But because I I do, I just hate, hate trash. I hate people that people, but I hate the process of people that just think they can just discard things. And that's what really hurt me. When I went to Cairo in 2012, I see these piles of trash aligned along these canals all through Cairo. And I'm like, that's really weird. Why do they put their trash like that? And it, it turns out this was the start of the Arab Spring and things were going really bad in their economy. And this is what happens when you don't have economic prosperity. You can care less about the environment. You, 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 you're just worried about survival. And it wasn't until a couple of days later that I see men with cardboard boxes pushing that trash into the canals that feed into the Nile River. And I was it just like this gut punch to me. And I'm like, wow. And that's why it's one of the dirtiest rivers on the planet. And you know, we don't we don't have any of those rivers here in the United States because again, we produce energy more responsibly than anywhere else around the world. And we actually know how to manage our our refuse and our waste. And, and that's that's a good thing. And those trash trucks are powered by diesel fuel. Uh, so some some good environmental leadership in this country. We need more of it around the world.
1: Jason, yeah. Jason, I too uh, really despise uh, litter. And uh, one of the things that I've always noticed, you know, I live in the Chicago suburbs. Been to you know New York City. Been to L.A. Been to San Francisco. Been to some of these uh, major metropolitan areas. The ones who are them you know foremost in the green energy, you know, is going to save the day. Uh, you know, canard, but it just, uh, I find it very interesting that those are the dirtiest, most polluted, most disgusting, most non quote unquote environmental places in the entire country. Yet the places where they thumb their nose and, you know, we actually use uh, fossil fuels, most of those, most of those places, you know, generally speaking, tend to be much, much uh, cleaner and much more, you know, environmentally friendly. So I think that that should not get lost in this discussion where. The places that they are pushing all this stuff, they could not care less about an actual clean environment, and a clean environment does matter.
3: Yeah, you're 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 spot on with that. Doesn't San Francisco have these machines that go around and pick up human feces, and people that go around and pick up human feces off the sidewalk? Yeah, it's 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 awful. Yeah.
0: Well, let's let's, uh, you know, uh, right before we came on the air, um, talk chatting with Chris a little bit about uh, today's topic and how um, there's some sort of saying that's like something will continue uh, inevitably until it doesn't, until it can't. In other words, the clean energy industry is turning out to be not sustainable, to use a word. Uh, So some of the, from the show notes that we have today, there's a story in Reuters that Siemens Energy shares slide 39% after company seeks state guarantees uh, so as I mentioned at the top, you know, they, they, their shares plunged 40% in one day, wiping out $3.16 billion off of its market value. Uh, you know, Siemens is, obvi- is obviously, or if you didn't know, Siemens is the biggest um, player in wind energy, one of the ones in the world and certainly in Germany. And, uh, you know, they 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 say that this is just not going to, it's just not going to work. Um, you know, they said that... Uh, it, this year, the power engineering company's wind unit, um, centered on rotoblades blades and gears on new, new, newer onshore wind turbines, um, was just not. It was just not working out, and so billions of losses in one day. Um, also, in the show notes, there's a a link to Powerline, which is one of the great uh, blogs out there on the right, it has been for decades now. Uh, Heartland friend Stephen Hayward is a regular contributor over there, and he has a post called "The Daily Chart: More Red Ink." for green energy, and uh, he has a chart on there that shows that in 2020, uh, alternative energy um, stocks, the MSCI, World Alternative Energy Index, went through the roof just whoom, like a rocket and it started to slowly come down, come down, and now in the last maybe six months, it's, it's the bottom has fallen out to the point where there's another, <laughs> there's another uh, uh, line on that chart where now actually energy that works. The, the World Energy Index is now above that. Uh, we have another chart that shows that uh, uh, glo- the iShares Global Clean Energy um, Index is down what 32 percent at least. Another chart showing that uh, the S&P Global Clean Energy Index um, just from the start of this year is down more about 35 percent. And then there's a company called Solar Edge Technologies in the last uh, graph that they show, whose share performance is down 70 percent since the beginning of the year uh whereas they began the year just going up so as uh you know as as we say here whereas actually they said in another post that these green dreams are going up in smoke uh you know jason you know the, this this always seemed to me the green energy push seemed to be obviously it's government it's socialism it's it's the government trying to create a market that doesn't exist and that the mentality of politicians whether or not they believe in the you know uh, climate change delusion humans are causing you know catastrophic climate change whether or not they believe that what they do know is that this is a great source of power that government can actually direct this and direct something as complex and uh, essential as the energy industry in the united states or around the world and so as i think chris mentioned earlier the solution always seems to be just throw more money on it uh throw more money at it Joe Biden himself has said, you know, so proud the the Inflation Reduction Act. What it really was was an investment in green energy and electric cars. It doesn't matter how much government money you throw at it. If it doesn't work, if the market can't sustain it, you can't create it out of nothing.
3: Yeah, China loves the Inflation Reduction Act, which is really the Green New Deal, which is just nothing but green energy from China, which I don't know, I guess the green is the part that we're giving to China to help their economy. because It's certainly not helping the American economy. Uh, it, it is a, I, I call it green bling and renewable nightmares or green dreams and renewable nightmares because uh, that, that's what's happening it is actually turning into a nightmare. We're seeing increased costs for electricity. Uh, from 2021 to 2022, there was a 30% increase in America of people getting their electricity disconnected. There was a 76% increase of people getting their natural gas disconnected in the United States. This is Biden inflation. This is the China ESG agenda, all rolled into one Green New Deal that is about control. And I think the same thing that's happened with healthcare in this country, not my policy expertise, but whether it's healthcare or higher education, as the government gets more involved, it gets a lot more expensive. And then it becomes this push that it, it should be free for everybody because the government has made it and manipulated it so much so that it becomes incredibly expensive that now they're saying, well, we should just regulate it. And electricity will become a right and and it'll be provided by the government. So you're right, it's about control and the government thinks that they can manage it best. They don't have any expertise in managing a grid. The people that have been pushing these policies around state legislatures and into the federal government at all, they just don't understand how things truly work. If they did, we would have a lot more coal-fired generated electricity in this country because the ability for on-site storage of coal. And again, as I've testified several times, I always like to say, of all the technology the Chinese steal from us, it would be nice if they would utilize our pollution control technology. But they don't, and that actually impacts our air quality here in the United States, which we're world leaders at. But mm-hmm. 80% of the mercury emissions in this country are naturally occurring or they're from Asian air pollution. They're building a coal fired power plant a week. Now, it'd be great if they would just turn the bag houses and scrubbers on and you wouldn't see the haze that you see in pictures of China. That's one of the reasons we don't have that here in this country because we use that technology. But coal creates this opportunity for on site storage. So if you lose electricity to the pipelines like we lost in Texas in 2021 because of poor mad made decisions, gas supply to to power generation was cut by greater than 75%. Where it wasn't cut was to natural or to coal-fired power plants because they had six to nine months of storage on site. So we really need... Uh, some sort of reliability standard within the grids around this country so that we don't go the German route, which is this their energy turnaround is how the word translate that they're going through right now. And now they're turning around their energy turnaround. I don't know what you would call that. Uh, there's probably some German cuss words in there that some people would use. But they are. They're, they're dismantling wind power to get to the coal underneath so that they can provide reliable electricity. Uh, and and they're, they're subsidizing it so heavily to make people's bills from going up. But you're paying out of one pocket higher taxes, and then you're paying your electric bill out of the other pocket. But it has led to deindustrialization in Germany. It's led to deindustrialization in the United Kingdom. Uh, it has just been an abject failure everywhere. It's, tr- it's been tried. And Rupert Darwall, this great economist in, in the United Kingdom, warns of the Europeanization of America. And, and we need to make sure that we're not adopting their policies or we're going to continue down that path and all of the production. That we do in this country will shift over to china and places that could care less about human rights or the environment
1: and it's also such a national security threat for us you know one of the things we learned during the uh, pandemic was it's not good to be dependent on uh, our you know enemies like china for the production of goods that we need to survive however instead of over the past three years i was saying okay that was a bad idea let's reshore uh, the Biden administration and all his, you know, green energy uh, policies have actually just made things worse. And more and more companies are saying, we can't afford this, we can't deal with the regulations, we're going to stop producing here in the United States, and we're going to shift, you know, somewhere else. So, you know, this, I think, really boils down to it's an anti-American agenda as well.
3: Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, I think over 80% of the materials or or 80% of the mines where cobalt and lithium comes from and in, in the Congo are owned and controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, over 98 percent of the graphite that's used in electric vehicles comes from China. So we have we forced ourselves. The Biden administration has pushed us back into being dependent on China. And so when Joe Biden talks about these common efforts with China, that they're going to work on attacking the climate crisis together. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah, China is working to continue to advance these policies because it knows that they're, they're going to benefit off of it.
1: And what's so frustrating is, you know, a couple of years ago, we were energy independent, we were energy dominant, we were actually a net exporter, we didn't have to worry about what's going on in the Middle East, we didn't have to worry about any of that stuff. However, once again, uh, you know, uh, this command economy approach, which is obviously going to fail, and it's going to be worse for, you know, the American people, they just keep, you know, plowing forward with it, regardless of the consequences, and regardless of the uh, pain and suffering that it's producing for the people that they're supposedly you know sp- most concerned about. Yeah.
0: Linnea, you got you got something to add there. I mean, uh I was just gonna bring sure. was <laughs> up, there, yeah, there was a there was just one fact I, I meant to bring in here because I mentioned it in the top of the show that uh General Electric's offshore wind is to is you know, gonna post one billion dollars in losses. Um I think for this year, maybe even more by the end of the year. Um You know, it it just is there's this just this conceit and it drives me crazy. I'm sure it does. All of you guys, too, that these politicians think that the only thing holding us back from our green future where everything is 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 free and cheap and and wonderful and it's wind. and So the only thing holding us back is the fact that these greedy power companies will not invest in this technology. So is it? So we know the only thing. And so so what we'll do is we'll just have the government do the investment and then drag the industry along and then we'll finally be at our, our energy utopia. But as we're seeing with uh, uh, with General Electric, you know, even with all the subsidies and things they get, they're still posting huge losses because, uh, well, for many reasons.
2: Well, uh, just look at um, let's say hydraulic fracturing for natural gas. Um, that technology did get government subsidies in the beginning, but it was an R&D investment, research and development, so that they could figure out whether or not the technology was worth using. And then those subsidies or those investments disappeared from the government when it turned out that, indeed, this technology is great and it's working just fine on its own. And so they're not still you know, paying into that particular Research anymore because they don't have to. They're not doing that with wind and solar and the rest of these. They're still pouring tons of money into them decades after the technology was supposedly proven.
4: Mm-hmm. So,
2: what's going on with that? It's just a, they're just playing favorites. They want it to work, you know. Um, whether or not it actually does work um, physically, (laughs) they're going to keep pouring money into it until they can make it work. uh, And it's just not going to. And you were talking a lot about uh, the coal industry. And one of the things that coal has been struggling with, and this is something that um, my colleague Sterling Burnett pointed out, um, when wind is really performing well, and sometimes it does perform very well, there are these periods that because of the production tax credit, um, wind companies are actually able to sell or to pay grid operators to take electricity from wind. Well, when that's going on, coal operators are out of luck. I mean, they still have to pay to maintain their Um, their facilities. They still have to pay their employees. They still have to pay to keep uh, their materials on site and to keep the materials uh, in good condition on site. So they're basically, you know, not selling any power while wind is doing that because who's going to take coal power that they have to pay for when they can get paid to take wind. So um, coal coal, uh, power plants actually just can't perform or they can't keep up economically with this with this oversubsidized mm-hmm. um negative price period stuff. Um and it's on, not Maria, that
3: you are right on.
2: It's <laughs> not that it's not that wind is is so good either because then when wind isn't working they need coal to come back. But what's happening is because it's so uneconomic and coal isn't getting any help at all to stay online they just shut down. And then what happens when wind stops working there's no backup and we're just again SOL.
1: But Lynette, it's not that the that coal is getting no quote unquote help. I don't think coal should get any help. They're actually making well, it. They're making it so difficult for the coal industry to just to just thrive with the regulations, the constant you know EPA mandates and such. So yeah, it's you're not right. a level playing field by any stretch of the word. And you know, as we've learned, this is just you know almost like common sense at this point. When the government picks winners and losers it doesn't work because what you're doing is you're shifting money in a perverse, you know, incentive system to a company. That's not going to innovate. That's not going to, you know, tinker and, and try new things. Really what you're going to get is a bunch of people who are politically connected, who are going to use that money to, you know, to basically enrich themselves. And then, you know, what usually happens is a couple of years later when the technology doesn't pan out, as we saw with Solyndra and with, uh, you know, the, the bus company that, uh, President Biden loves so much, uh, Proterra, they go bankrupt. And then guess what? We taxpayers are on the hook for it and we're not better off at all. We're, we're actually worse off. It would be so much better if we just let, you know, green energy work in a free market. And who knows, maybe sometime in a couple of years, someone will come up with the, you know, innovation that changes the the, the game here. But it's not going to happen from government top down. It's going to happen from the bottom up.
2: Right. And and I don't mean to imply that there's <clears throat> some kind of a level playing field that then right. uh, wind is getting a boost on. Uh no, coal is being actively attacked on all fronts. Right. Uh from the yeah. government side and also from the economic side because of the government meddling in uh the production tax credit stuff. So it's yeah. uh Yeah, Lenae, yeah. you're
3: spot on 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 that where the wind ramps up in the afternoon the hours when Demand may not be there yet, and then it starts to drop off when the demand is there. The same thing happens with solar. And so, what you do is you have to derate the coal while the, the wind is going up you derate the coal and then then all of a sudden the wind drops off or you have some unexpected weather issue a cold storm comes through and the wind stops and the solar stops producing and then you've got to crank the you got to crank the, the the coal and natural gas back up and that's like driving a car in traffic it's the least efficient way to drive a car because you're ramping up and slowing down and ramping back up and slowing down when mm-hmm. before you had these variable sources of generation on the market mm-hmm. you didn't have that variability with with your generation, your thermal generation, but now you do, and so this equipment is getting stressed. Uh, it's not getting updated because, you're, like like you said, when wind can pay to put electricity on the grid because they're making twenty five dollars per megawatt hour of electricity produced, they have all these power purchase agreements where companies like Facebook and Apple and Google will say they're one hundred percent renewable. If they are, I'd love for them just to get off the grid, but, but they say that and they have all these diesel generators parked at their server farms, <laughs> just in case the power trips you know, in California. I mean, this is the case where Microsoft had to get all these waivers from clean air requirements so they could put just dozens of diesel generators at one of their server farms that are parked out in a truck so they're they but they they pay a premium so that they can virtue signal that they're 100 renewable when truly they're just paying for credits uh, they're not off the grid uh, but it is it's, it's one thing we've advocated for years for the texas public policy foundation is we need this firming requirement we need a reliability requirement where we tell generation that during the the hundred peak hours of a year you've got to be able to guarantee a minimum amount of electricity and sorry if the wind's not blowing or the sun's not shining, then you're going to have to partner with or you're going to have to build new quick start natural gas generation to put electricity on the grid right away so that the ratepayers have electricity when they need it. And that shifts the burden of cost to the reliability to the ones that are causing the unreliability, namely wind and solar. And so we're still working on that policy. I think the Southwest Power Pool will probably be one of the first to implement that across their grid. And hopefully Texas will be right there, lockstep, maybe, maybe right behind them, or or, or about the same pace. But we'll see we're gonna to start to see more and more reliability requirements come into grids over the next couple of years.
0: Yeah. We I mean, speaking, speaking, I mean, that sounds like a virtue signaling scam. And uh, speaking of virtue signaling scam, let's get into EVs. <laughs> uh, you, you guys r- might remember, well, I think it was one or two Super Bowls ago. Uh, I believe every single automobile commercial was for mm-hmm. an EV, all okay. of them. Uh, I, and it, maybe there was one that wasn't. And it was either one year or two years ago. Actually, no, I'm pretty sure now that it was two years ago, because yeah. in last year's Super Bowl, I think there was one EV commercial. Yeah. I could go research this, but it was close. But like two years ago, it was everything was EV, 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 uh, all this stuff. Well, um, there are big time signs that the EV bubble, that it's a bubble and that it's collapsing. I mean, Ford announced that it lost 1.3 billion in its EV division during just the third quarter of 2023, and that translate translates into a loss of 62,000 and sixteen or 62,000 for each of the twenty uh, one thousand EVs that it sold during the period. The CEO of Mercedes-Benz, again, I know I saw an electric Mercedes-Benz commercial. Um, he said that the glut of EVs on the market, uh, there's a glut of them and the public doesn't want it. He said, quote, I can hardly imagine the current status quo was fully sustainable for everybody. And as I mentioned at the top, even Elon Musk is warning that the demand, the general demand for, for electric vehicles just isn't there yet, uh, despite, you know, the government uh, read something yesterday, Jason, where it, <laughs> I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, where, as it is now, subsidies for electric vehicles, um, if you add them all up from coming from all different directions, is about $50,000 or 40, forty-three to $53,000 per vehicle. It would be cheaper for the United States government just to buy everybody a regular car than it is for the <laughs> subsidies for EVs that are going on right yeah, now. Yeah,
3: people would have safer, newer cars, that would be better for their families that are probably more fuel efficient, but they're forced to stay into older, less safe vehicles, uh, than what they would otherwise be because of all these mandates. And yeah, the Wall Street Journal hopefully was sharing some of the research that I just co-authored that shows that over 10 years, you start to add in the subsidies and the mandates and the, the avoided cost of an EV, and it adds close to $50,000 to the cost that to an EV. And that's including the $7,500 tax credit. Some people think that, oh, that's the only subsidy that's in there. Couldn't be further from the truth. So, you you look at a Ford Lightning, $92,000 for a Ford Lightning. They just lowered the price $6,000. Based on their financial results, they're losing $62,000 per truck. So, now you've got the shareholders, the companies that are like BlackRock that are using pension dollars for teachers and firefighters that are investing into Ford they're pitching in $62,000 per Lightning. And then you add in this additional $50,000 in subsidies that ratepayers are paying. And you're talking the true cost of a Ford Lightning truck is over $200,000. But no one wants to pay that. I mean, no one really wants an EV anyways. The only people that are so brand loyal are, are Tesla owners. But you look at owners of other EVs, a majority of them, when they buy another car, they're not buying an EV, they're buying an internal combustion engine. That should tell you something that right there, that the unless they're just so brand loyal to Tesla, like they are, but you look at every other EV, when they buy another car, they replace it with an internal combustion engine.
0: Yeah, I mean, when, when more than half of your customers don't wanna buy your product after they've experienced your product, that does that seems bad i don't you know i'm not a, i'm not a <laughs> trained econ or economist but it seems bad when half your customers would not want to buy your product again you know that doesn't seem like a growth industry to me jason
3: i mean yeah it's not it's 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 threatening it's it's alarming and people want the range I, you didn't my favorite number from the financial results was gm their their silverado electric truck during the last quarter they sold 18 of them. Yes, 18. It just cracks me up. Um, but you know I think Aisha Finley from The Wall Street Journal reported on Monday talking about the collapse of these wind farms and quoting the Orsted CEO saying that the, the governments are going to need to pay more for them to be successful in their deployment of coastal wind. She was also talking about the automakers are going to be coming with their handout, looking for another bailout because of this, this, this crash. And, you know, the title says, well, EVs, EVs will never catch on. I think the only thing that EVs are going to catch on is they're going to continue to catch on fire.
0: Ah, I knew that was coming. That was good.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's true. I mean, look, like, they don't geez, even you know. come with an oven. Like, you, I mean, do you think that kind of cost? You have like a multi use vehicle that, hey, I can cook a pizza while I'm driving down the road. But, you know, if you don't mind a little bit of lithium.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess you could bring them to a tailgate and then you wouldn't have to bring a, a grill with you, you know, just wait. Yeah, that's right. That yeah, fire.
3: They'll, they'll burn for hours. Or so, I mean, if yeah. it's really cold outside, just put a little salt water on the battery. And, yeah, well, I mean, Ford, they
0: um, they stopped delivery of the. the Ford How F-1 dare F-1> you? <laughs> to all of their dealerships, they stopped delivery because I think a, a dealer normally wants about maybe six weeks uh, rotation in, in, uh, in inventory, uh, that'd be like the, on the outside, you know, obviously they would like a basically a month, but, uh, the Ford dealerships have all of these F-150 lightning trucks that are not selling. <clears throat> they have like 90 days of inventory in their, on their, on their lots. And they're taking up space that they could act for, for vehicles that could actually sell. And, uh, Hertz, I saw this the other day. Uh, Hertz, again, one of those commercials he saw all the time with Tom Brady, I don't understand the appeal of Tom Brady. I don't think he's funny. I don't think he can act. (laughs) I think he's kind of boring, but Hertz pays him a lot of money to be their spokesperson and all their commercials, um, most of the last year, have been about how he's going to be renting a, a Tesla EV for his next trip and all of that. Well, uh, Hertz is now admitting that that's actually bad and we don't want any more Teslas. Perhaps we don't want any more at all because we can't sell them back. Uh, for one, Tesla keeps dropping the price of their cars to help them move their inventory. So the resale value, I mean, that's where rental cars make a lot of their money. They rent the car out for an X number of miles, and then they they sell it, and they they pocket the cash. Um, Teslas are not very good resale value. Any electric car is not going to be very good retail value because the battery efficiency drops. Um, You know, they always say that. The value of your car drops the second you drive off the lot. Well, the efficiency of the battery powering your car drops the minute you drive off the lot as well. And it is always going to go down. It's never going to go up. Uh, and so Hertz is starting to re- rethink its commitment to renting EVs uh, where people might have fun with them, but they can't make any money off them anymore. In fact, they're losing money on them. So so Lene and Chris, I mean, every indication is that uh, the electric the push for electric vehicles which again this is government creating in order to save the planet supposedly and we might or might not get into how environmentally uh harmful the the construction and the materials for an electric vehicle actually is but again it's the government trying to create a market to quote unquote save the planet that doesn't exist and they think they can just will it into existence if we right. just produce all the only thing keeping people out of electric vehicles is that there aren't enough of them right and so if we put all these subsidies together, if we just pay the car companies to make these vehicles, then people will come flock and buy them. But as we see, um, markets don't work that way and that people make their own choices and they're choosing not to have an electric vehicle for a million different reasons. Um, and, and so we are seeing the collapse now. It's, I never thought it would happen this fast, but it's happening really fast now right. that all of these companies are putting up billions of dollars in losses in a quarter on their on their EV divisions
2: and it's even worse than that Jim because the uh so we had on climate change roundtable we had a viewer that emailed us after one of our shows on EVs they said that they're a they're a dealership owner and um that the government is telling them that they have to put in more uh charging ports so that they can sell more of these uh, um electric vehicles or they're not the government, but the like Ford is telling them you have to put in X number of charging ports so that you can have X number of EVs on the lot. And it's at the dealership's expense and it's millions of dollars to put these things in. And they, this woman said, you know, this is a nightmare, an actual nightmare dealing with these things, because you have to have them always rotating between being plugged in there's no way you can have a charging port for every single ev on the lot that'd be a huge waste of time and the batteries slowly lose power over time uh when they're not plugged in so even if they're not running so she said it's it's especially the tesla to be nice to them a little bit seems to have a lot of their technology figured out a lot better than the other companies do um the other companies evs are just utter disasters <laughs> not that not that teslas aren't not as good as people uh, kind of hype them to be um you know the build quality is kind of meh from what i've heard uh, but but a lot of these other companies cars they they're losing power off the battery when it's just sitting around they're they're way less um, efficient, they get way less range than they claim that they do. And even Tesla struggles from that problem, but they'll admit it and they'll say, we're working on it. But these other companies are like, hey, we're getting free money to put these things out. And so we're going to invest all this money in it because we anticipate that we're going to continue to get all this free money to do it. Um, We don't really care what happens, Uh, but maybe they'll start caring, (laughs) Jim, if they're (laughs) putting forward billions of dollars of losses, as long as they don't get bailed out. Well, and that gets yeah, to
3: I what think we're going to hopefully advocate for some changes in the corporate average fuel economy standards here soon, as we highlight in the paper. That's one of the areas where <laughs> Tesla has probably would not be profitable without those credits at 1.78 billion dollars in 2022 in credits because this false and what we think is illegal multiplier that they're taking for every gallon of fuel you save, you get credit for saving nearly seven gallons. And so then, then Tesla can take those credits and sell them to other automobile manufacturers. And this is where we point out that people that are buying internal combustion engines, whether they gasoline or diesel, they're paying for those offsets for, and contributing towards other people to buy they're fancy EVs, these wealthy individual owners. It's yep. it's welfare for the rich EV owners. Uh, and so I, I hope that there is some progress made over the next couple of years on this corporate average fuel economy or CAFE standards, because the system is being manipulated to benefit and really force people into EVs to the detriment of the American automobile manufacturers we're seeing fold out right in front of us. I, I think, think so.
1: so- But I think that this is also so symbolic of how out of touch these uh, CEOs and these, you know, uh, other board members at these at these uh, car companies are because if they had half a brain, they would realize who are the people who are buying pickup trucks and uh, big SUVs people in, in the quote unquote heartland. They don't have access to the charging stations that are needed for them to actually buy those cars and use them properly. But who are the people who are buying most of these cars? It's people who live in mostly urban areas who use them for, you know, just to go run their errands, you know, and and this kind of stuff while they're virtue signaling with, you know, their, you know, stickers and and stuff. But uh, Jim, you know, when I think back to, uh, you know, Ford, Henry Ford built Ford so that he could make cars for, for everyday people. He built the Model T so that he could actually build cars that the vast majority of working class Americans at that time could buy look at how completely different the culture of a ford or a gm or some of these other uh, big car manufacturers are nowadays they're not concerned with the desires and you know the the what the people you know who are actually purchasing those cars want because what those people want are suvs pickup trucks big you know big heavy you know trucks they don't want these you know super uh light uh you know sedans and they don't want evs so if these uh car companies wanted to actually make money which I assume is you know <laughs> their 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 point why don't they just cater to the demands of their customers but obviously you know the the government is you know using uh you know its power over them and you know it's it's it, it's a complicated situation but you just if you just boil it down to simplicity at the end of the day if the car companies want to make money build and and uh, you know uh, sell what the people want to buy we know what they want to buy they want to buy trucks they want to buy pickup trucks they want to buy SUVs and suburbans they don't want to buy EVs.
3: Yeah, I mean, if, yeah, you, Chris, if you're, you're spot on there, if I could just jump in real quick, you look at and I do this, I look at the, who the top 10 shareholders are of these companies GM, Stellantis, Ford, and invariably you'll find one, if not all three, of BlackRock, Vanguard, yep. and right. State Street that are part of this ESG movement. They yep. are ones that are driving this environmental socialist governance movement socialist movement in, within the boardrooms of these companies and so yeah some of those ceos may have the common sense to know that we just need to be selling gasoline ford f-150s to people in texas uh, and, and throughout the heartland because that's what they want but their compensation has been tied to esg and yep. dei metrics and so they they, they want to get paid they want to make money they realize they're probably tanking their company yep. de- at the detriment of all those pensioners that are invested in their country, their company. Uh, but they're doing it because that's where they're being told to do from these large institutional shareholders.
1: And that is that is such a great point. Uh, you know, obviously the BlackRock, State Street's, and uh, you know other uh, giant asset management firms, you know, hold uh, way too much you know control over what these uh, corporations are doing. But just like you said, and this is something I've been wondering for the past few years: if these if these CEOs actually cared about the longevity of their uh you know the the corporation that they work for they would be doing what's in the best interest of the corporation now what's in the best interest for these you know asset management companies however we do live in an economy right now where those uh you know asset management firms and the big banks and you know the the power players actually control what these companies are producing everything from target you know what they're offering in their stores to disney what they're putting out on their streaming platform and on and on and on it's not just the cars it's across the know, the economy.
0: Yeah. I mean, you you know, if you, if you, if you Google, or I'm sorry, not Google, if you go into the search bar at YouTube and you put in electric truck review, and there are people who have YouTube channels, they, they make money on this is kind of like some of them, this is their primary job. They'll just review things and review cars and, and trucks. And I remember watching a couple of videos from guys who really wanted to believe that this electric truck was going to be great. They, so they, they believed it. This is necessary. We need to transition to electricity. And then they got in it and, you know, had the camera there. And they get, oh, great. You know, so I'm going to drag this um, very, actually pretty light trailer behind me in the truck. And we're going to go. And they, it was in Colorado. And we're going to go from Denver to Colorado Springs. I used to do that trip all the time, going to camp or whatever, and, and uh, in the truck. And we'll do it in the electric truck. He gets in, and it says, range, 280 miles. He goes, ah, great. That's plenty. No problem. Um, and then, literally, he's driving along for five minutes, and it goes down to 230. And then... 210 he's like i haven't gone 70 miles i've gone 7 <laughs> and 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 the efficiency of the battery keeps going down and so these are these are not practical vehicles um and that's why they can't sell the the, the f150 lightning because you know if you're working for a living you know if you're a contractor you're not going to get an electric car- truck even if they pay you to get it, which is what, basically what they're doing. And just to mm-hmm. b- before we get into one last uh, topic, or not topic, but aspect of all this, Jason, I just want to make sure that I kind of understand you here because I want to try to give, I'm reluctant to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to give the automakers the benefit of the doubt. And I'm hmm. going to say that they decided, look, we're going to be getting all this federal money to make these electric vehicles. And we will no longer have to pay indulgences to Elon Musk <laughs> because of our gas powered cars. So they figured, well, mm, Maybe as a uh, as a better financial or something that that makes more sense, we'll just make our own electric vehicles. That way we don't have to pay Elon Musk for this stuff anymore. Uh, Did I read that right when you when you were talking about how that's that's really how Elon Musk has made a lot of his money He's basically paid by the other car companies because his cars don't have uh, any emissions, but theirs do.
3: That's right. Yep, $1.78 billion uh, last year to Tesla was to basically selling these credits to other automobile manufacturers. And you're right. They're tired of having to do that. And rather than going to Congress and saying these corporate average fuel economy standards are ridiculous, let us produce cars that consumers want, let markets work they said, okay, well, we'll just start producing smaller vehicles that are lighter, that are less safe. We'll start producing electric vehicles because of the multiplier. You produce a small internal combustion engine that gets 40 miles a gallon. You know, these new two and three cylinder engines that they're putting in cars now, uh, they'll go a little further per gallon, but it's not an electric vehicle. And if you're an electric vehicle, then you get that multiplier, that 6.67 multiplier. So whether you're saving a gallon of fuel with an internal combustion engine, The multiplier just really forces them to go down the road of all EVs. And so they're embracing that so that they can then make the money and try to sell those credits. It's just the government does a terrible job of creating markets where markets don't exist, like carbon credit trading, corporate average fuel economy credit trading. Uh, Quite honestly, it'd be nice if the automobile manufacturers would stand up to Congress and say, this is reforms that you need to pass, let markets work. Not government manipulation, but right. is, is, I mean, it's
1: also at the state level, isn't it? Isn't uh, did in California basically outlaw the sale of new uh, internal combustion engine vehicles in twenty thirty
3: two? Yeah, seventeen states in the D.C. Yeah. have have joined forces and said we're just going to pl- comply with whatever California does. And so, anytime California changes its regulations regarding automobiles, those other seventeen states, I think they're called Section one seventy seven states they automatically adopt those new policies. So when California came out and banned the sale of internal combustion engines by mm-hmm. whatever year it is, Gavin said, 2035, I think, or 2030, those other states automatically right. have those same regulations in I place. Think,
2: correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Michigan one of those states? Yes, <laughs> yeah.
0: They are. They, they that, could make it 2100 ironic. and it wouldn't matter. Um, it, yeah. It's not something government should be doing, obviously, but... You know, so so what we're going to see, and we'll we'll wrap it up on this, um, get all of your take on this. But it seems to me that the so-called green energy companies and the car companies that are making these EVs that nobody wants, they're going to go to government and they're going to say, "Look, we did what you said, what you made us do, and we're losing money hand over fist, and now we need a bailout to fix mm-hmm. it." So we're we're putting money in on the front. Um, we're putting money in, in the middle and never going to be putting money in as taxpayers at the end when this whole thing, uh, collapses. So, you know, I'll start with, uh, with you, Jason, do you think pressure is going to mount and probably sooner rather than later that these companies need a bailout because government ruined them and it, it owes it to them, which means we owe them. We didn't ask them to do this, but taxpayers are going to be <laughs> the ones bailing these out because I, I suppose, um, uh, you know, Ford is uh, too big to fail or something.
3: Yeah, we, we've seen it before. We'll see it again. But I do think that these companies are going to be coming asking for a handout because they're going to need to be bailed out because it just doesn't make sense. They're looking at multiple streams of revenue, uh, which is just something that completely boggled my mind. But I remember attending an energy conference and overhearing someone that was in the renewable sector. And, and they said, we've identified nine areas of revenue nine streams of revenue and i'm like what and it's these power purchase agreements that i mentioned it's these subsidies from the federal government the state government local governments they identified all these forms of revenue. Maybe that's why these things are collapsing and these, these carbon markets are collapsing because they just don't work and they're useless. But yes, these companies are going to realize that hopefully some of their streams of revenue dry up and those streams coming from us in the form of subsidies and tax breaks, which hopefully we're able to eliminate here soon. And let's get get to free market uh, and continue our environmental leadership because uh, the path that we're going down is unsustainable for the ratepayers and consumers of internal combustion engine vehicles.
0: Yeah. Uh, Chris or Linnea? Bailout, yay or nay? I mean, do you think it's coming or not coming? I, I think Oh, it's, it's coming.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah, it's coming, definitely. It's yeah, I, I
1: agree. It's totally coming. You know, that's what happened in 2008, 2009. The car industry got a huge bailout, and they obviously did not learn their lesson. And, you know, the, you know, the, the, the federal dollars that are dangling, they're just eating them up, and they're, you know, not realizing this is having a, a very uh, dire impact on the long-term uh of their companies so
0: yeah well you know this is a crazy thought i know but how about energy companies try to produce efficient energy that is cheap for people so that it encourages economic growth and keeps more money in our pockets and maybe i don't know this is another crazy idea how about car companies build vehicles that people actually want to (laughs) buy and compete with each other to build the best ones of those i don't know it seemed to work pretty well for about 100 years and uh and now our betters in government Are changing everything great (laughs) welcome to the new world and welcome to the podcast and thanks for being on here the carbon king himself jason isaac i just want to thank you for being on and i hope we can have you on again uh it was very informative and a lot of fun and uh keep an eye on life colon powered and the texas public policy foundation you can find their new uh paper about evs you should it's very easy to get through and you're going to learn a lot about the market and about how it's a big scam so thanks thanks very much jason for being on the program
3: thanks for having me on keep living a high carbon lifestyle
0: damn right high carbon lifestyle and so i don't usually um, host this podcast so i forget how Donnie usually uh exits But I will say that if you have not yet subscribed to this channel, please do so. Please encourage your friends to do so. Next time you come watch this thing live, bring a few friends. We'd like to have a lot of people in our lively chat. Uh, The more the merrier. And if you're listening to this on the audio version, anywhere you get your podcasts, um, please subscribe to that as well. We appreciate your presence here today and and the fan of the show. I'm Jim Lakely, Vice President of the Heartland Institute. We will see you next time.